Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church from the Gospel of Luke. On one occasion, when Jesus was going to the house of a leader of the Pharisees to eat a meal on the Sabbath, they were watching him closely. Just then, in front of him, there was a man who had dropsy. Jesus went on to address a parable to the guests, noticing how they were trying to get a place of honor at the table. When you're invited to a wedding party, don't sit in the place of honor in case someone more distinguished has been invited. Otherwise, the hosts might come up to you and say, make room for this person, and you would have to proceed shamefacedly to the lowest place. What you should do is go and sit in the lowest place so that when your hosts approach you, they'll say, my friend, come up higher. This will win you the esteem of the other guests. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to the host, whenever you give a lunch or dinner, don't invite your friends or colleagues or relatives or wealthy neighbors. They might invite you in return and thus repay you. No, when you have a reception, invite those who are poor or have physical affirmities or are blind. You should be pleased if they can't repay you, for you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Laura. Friends, let's, uh, let's pray together. Hospitable God, you invite us to a banquet. Where the last may be first, and the humble and the mighty trade places. Let us share your abundance with no fear of scarcity. No fear of scarcity, God. Let us greet strangers as angels you have sent. Send your spirit now, we pray, so that we may find a place at your table and welcome others with radical hospitality. In the name of Jesus, guest at all our tables, we pray. Amen. Well, friends, what we discover in our passage this morning is that our posture, our positioning, our seating, the way in which our bodies take up space in room and in other places, all of that comes um, not just by accident, but it comes with a message. The way in which we hold our bodies, our posture, our seating, our positions in this world communicates something about us, about others, about the world itself. If I say to all of you like this, hey, welcome to all souls, so glad you're here today, versus, hey, welcome to all souls, this is your first time, so glad you're here today. I wonder which one we believe. What does posture, position say to the world around us? The place we sit with all of who we are, bringing our full place to the place in which we sit, our personality, our privilege, our comforts, our perspectives, is often finds its space in this world. And we think it doesn't really matter, but it does. And I believe that one of the things that Jesus is doing in challenging each one of us and challenging those who come to this dinner is to kind of move past the place of being comfortable. 
to move perspective, to change the way in which we see how we take up space in this world. Not that it's good, that it's bad, but that it's happening and it's communicating something. What does it look like for you in your life to develop new perspective, new posturing, new seating in this world? Well, let's try it. So what I want to do, unless you're new here today, don't feel like you need to go through it, and you can stay with others. We're going to stand, and I just want you to find a different seat. F- sit somewhere different. If you want to take anything, you can, if you like, I still want to sit with this one person, you can go with them. But just find a different place. There's no place in, w- in which people love to sit in the exact same seat other than church. You like come in. We have those in the back that are like, I want to be as close to the door as possible so that I can like just be close to coffee. We have others that's like, I don't even know why I sit here. It's just what I do every time. We have our people that make us feel comfortable and safe, and so we sit next to them, and nothing with that is wrong. We have our balcony people. Yeah? Love you all. We have our front rowers, who are honestly my favorite, because they're usually smiling at me. Okay, so now what happened is you all just like trade positions, and now you're just like comfortable in another way. Okay, change perspective. Do you feel it? I feel awkward. I don't even want to guess what it feels like for you. Where we sit, where we take space in a room, in a position, the people we sit with, it means something. It's not just a blank slate. Our bodies and the way we carry them throughout this world mean something, and Jesus is pointing that out in this passage. You guys are way too close. I'm like, this is, usually there's like a 10-foot kind of barrier, but I'll be okay. I feel like, I feel, okay, we're circled in here together. How one uses our posture or positions in this world can serve also. How you use your posture, your body, your position in this world can serve as a tremendous symbol in this world. And, and so how do we become aware of it? A couple of symbols of posturing and positioning. Um, The first one is October 16th, 1968. You've probably seen this. When African-American athlete Tommy Smith and John Carlos stepped on the Olympic podium shoeless, wearing black socks to show their solidarity with the African-American community that was held down in poverty. They also had a black glove held high. And all three athletes, the story I didn't know, the one in second place is Australian, um, Peter... Peter Norman, um, all three athletes also had badges on their things that they put on that were for a human rights badges on there to kind of proclaim all of humans' rights to, throughout the world. Their posture and what they did with their positioning mattered. Second one. <clears throat> you may know this hero. December 1, 1955, in Montgomery, Alabama, Rosa Parks rejected bus driver James Blake's order to relinquish her seat in the color section to a white passenger. She sat somewhere different that she wasn't supposed to sit. And it began to change the world. Some of that continued. In our next slide, we see some young students in Greensboro, North Carolina, that sat in a place where they weren't supposed to sit, and they didn't move. They were not angry, they were not yelled. There was a nonviolent protest in which the place in which they sat mattered and took up 
place. I think as Jesus is talking about moving down, he's also talking about what does it look like for some of us who have felt marginalized or unvoiced to move up into positions and to hold space in this world. Go to some other ones. Maybe one of my favorite. This is Pope Francis. This is one of my favorite stories about Pope Francis. If, there, if you want to know someone who understands posturing and positioning and the symbol that it communicates to the world, this guy gets it. Pope Francis is on his way to lead confession. All the cameras are looking on him. He's about ready to forgive everyone about all the confessions in this world. As he's walking into confession, he kind of like stops in his tracks, turns 180, and walks to another priest, and he falls down on his knees, and he begins confessing. Something that wasn't done in public. That the one who's supposed to receive, the one who's supposed to kind of have all the answers, the one who's supposed to forgive, goes and says, you know what? I actually happen to be a sinner as well. I mean, life-changing, right? To our next one, Mother Teresa. She was known for so many different things, a living saint during her time, asked to come and speak, world leaders. She would always say, you need to come to me, I'm not leaving my place, and they would come to her. Do you know what she was known for most? It was her eye-to-eye contact with people. She would get on their level with a child. Just look at the way this child is, rel- is, is seeing her is being comforted with her. She, she is at the level. She is positioning in herself, not in a place of over and above, but with in comforting. One of my other heroes. If you don't know, this is Jean Venier. He started the Law Arch community um, that is now throughout the world. This is what it was called about Jean Venier. He was a very tall man, must have been almost 6'5". At his height, he could see the world around him from above. But when he looks right at you with his thoughtful smile, you might get the impression his height makes him uncomfortable. Indeed, he dislikes photos where he towers over others. Jean Venier likes to look people right in the eye, whether they be poor or wealthy, Christian, Muslim, African or European, Asian or American, whatever they come with, whatever disability they hold, he sits at their level. Now the last one, is probably the position I like to hold in my own heart and I like to imagine myself in. I actually, um, sad to say, I have no clue what this means because I, I haven't done what the rest of the world is, which is Game of Thrones. Um, but I imagine, um, I imagine in my own life, sitting upon this throne in complete control, right? I am in control of my comforts, of my kingdoms. I am in control of my future. I have done hard work to be in control of my past. And I will rule my kingdom from this throne. And if the throne can get bigger, and if this place of ruling can get stronger, then I want to be there. Now, I may not look that way. I may say, you know what, I'm just a humble leader, just excited. But in here... Inside each of our heart is this space in which we're like, how can I rule? Because when we rule, we think we are secure. We think we are safe. We think we are in a position in which others cannot hurt us. And so we carry this space, this ruling, whether it be false or not, we hold these positions. And when we do not have these positions of security, of safety, of being in control, and being better than our neighbors, we feel anxious, scared. So many other things begin to develop. Jesus, gosh, he sees it all. In this passage, 
one of the things that we see in Jesus is that these leaders are looking directly at him. They're observing him. What is he going to do? What is he going to say? How is he going to use his body at this table and in this place? What what words, what is he going to teach against? And so they're watching him carefully, trying to get him, trying to say, oh, there you go, you screwed up. You need to descend. You need to go to another place. You are not belonging here. But what they missed out is that Jesus knew something central in his core of who he was. He knew that the message in which he was carrying, the God in which he was part of and coming from, was a God that valued a path of descent, of humility. One of the most overlooked aspects of the Christian faith, I believe, is this. It is, the core, it is this practice of a path of descending, of humility. Philippians 2 describes Jesus this way, the way he embodies himself in this world. Though he was in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God something to be exploited, but he emptied himself. Where are the places you're emptying yourself, pouring yourself into? I'm not saying losing yourself, losing your identity and your confidence. No, that's not what Jesus did. He didn't let go of himself. He purposely emptied himself for the sake of others, taking on the form of a servant, being born in human likeness, this God in which we come, we worship, we sing, we eat. This is a God that descends into human likeness, that is scarred, that knows death, that knows tears, that knows suffering, that knows betrayal and heartache. These are the things of God, not outside of what God is. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to a point of death. That this is the descent. It's all leading to this point. It's unavoidable. And so the message, the gospel part of it is, is an accepting of that. It's a, it's a knowing this is part of the movement of our life, the journey in which Christ has walked before us to death on a cross. Therefore, God also exalted him. This week's passage in Luke is a meditation on this movement, the humility and the path of descent and the exhalation, the, the freedom that comes from this place when we position ourselves in this world. You guys doing all right? Are you feeling awkward in a different spot? New perspective? I still feel weird, just as long as you guys are okay there. So the, these, uh, they're watching him. They're watching him, they're observing him, and you know what Jesus does? Jesus always sees his environment, his tables, the places he at. He sees things that everyone else overlooked. The passage goes on that as they're watching him intently, waiting for him to screw up, guess what Jesus sees? Jesus sees a man with dropsy. Usually an abnormal swelling in the body of access of water going to a different kind of place. And Jesus sees the suffering in our life. Jesus sees us when we're in those places. Jesus sees those things that are often overlooked. And he moves closer towards them. Jesus doesn't even just see that. This man in which he provides healing. This man in which he provides insight. But he also sees how the other guests are competing for a place of honor. You know, we don't live, we don't think we live as much in a shame-honor system. I think it's just maybe a little bit more hidden and tricky. Maybe, it, maybe it's viewed by likes, maybe it's viewed by the clothes we may wear, maybe it's viewed by all these other ways in which we kind of are just trying to position ourselves. Not because we want to be better than ourselves, it's because we feel safe and secure when we're like, okay, 
here is the arch of humanity, and here's where I am. I'm okay, as long as I'm ahead of the curve, or whatever maybe family culture we bring into this story. In us, there is what Jesus sees, this longing to find the places of honor and to sit in those thrones so that we feel safe, secure. And Jesus says, I see it. I see how you're just longing deep in your heart just to to get another position so that you feel comfortable about your way in this world. I see it why you're buying that thing that you buy. One, because you like it, and one, because maybe someone will notice it. And it's a symbol for you to just say, you know what, I've arrived. I see why maybe it's important to put up all these, this different Instagram posts of this to just so, you know what, I I did something with my, my weekend. None of these things are bad in and of themselves, but when they get tied to our longings and this drive and this need of comfort, when they become part of our longing to find the place of honor so that we can feel okay and grounded, that's when they become warped. And the majority of where this comes from, it seems like what's what's happening in Scripture, is when people are comparing themselves to the others in the room. It's almost what we're taught to do, so don't feel bad about doing it every day. Don't feel bad about doing it right now. We compare ourselves to others and their status. And when we do this, when we kind of engage this prideful ego or, or maybe it feels like a, a shame in some ways, when we're always comparing ourselves, what happens, whether we're saying that out loud or not, when we're comparing ourselves to others in the world and the standards of the world, what happens is these symptoms begin, begin to rise up because they say things about how we're doing it. So some of the symptoms in my own life of when I'm in this deep comparison, because sometimes I'm not even aware of it, when I'm in this deep comparison, some of the symptoms that show up are anger, Anxiety, busyness, and exhaustion. When those show up in my life, I go, oh, I'm doing that game, trying to find that place of honor, and I'm worried I'm not going to get in my place, and so now I'm angry. Can I tell you a quick story, but it's got to stay in the room? <clears throat> uh, this week, I was walking my dog. This is, this is anger showing up in my own life. Um, we can go around the room if everyone else wants to go. Um, anger showing up in my life this week. So it's early in the morning, I'm in my PJs, I look awful, I'm like in my slippers, it's like 6 a.m., I'm thinking I'm not going to run into anyone. And I'm walking our two dogs, and as we're going through the neighborhood, I walk past this guy's yard that just, it's like a little sliver of yard, and it's beautiful. It's really, I'm like, oh man, this guy's done a good job taking care of his yard. Not paying attention, looking at my phone, my dog walks over and like begins to pee in this guy's yard. And I'm like, oh, I'm trying to pull him out of it because, and so I'm like, oh shoot. So I keep walking. And then the Tesla rolls up right behind me. And that guy rolls down his window and he looks at me and he says this. He goes, hey, hey, uh, do we both agree this is private property? And I was like, oh, yeah, so so sorry, right? He's not a jerk. I I say sorry, we move on. I do the Costanza, which is I think of like a hundred good comebacks I would have said. You know, like I'm just walking for half an hour. I'm like, you know what I should have said to him? And they weren't even that good. So then, I have a half an hour to keep moving. And you know what? I can't let it go. I'm angry because I felt shamed. But you know what I'm really angry about when I think about it? Is that this guy has his life together and I don't. His yard is clean. His car is there. His house is twice the size of mine. The dude, I mean, he had an English accent. I mean, like, he had, (laughs) like, he had it all. And I'm thinking, I literally am walking right out and I'm thinking, what are you doing with your life, Will? 
You can't even get your car fixed. This is the honor and shame that's deep within our system, and it's a comparative game we play all the time. How do we know when it's happening in our life? When the symptoms of anger, anxiety, busyness that we always got to keep on doing because we don't think we're trying to compete with others, but deep down somewhere we're competing with some voice or some person. Exhaustion. Next time you feel exhausted, ask why. Why am I so exhausted? What was a busy, busy week? Why am I still exhausted? Because I just keep on adding more. So in this room in which this game is happening and Jesus sees it and Jesus still sees it here today, in this room Jesus tells the parable that comes actually directly from Proverbs 25. So Jesus, to these religious leaders, he's not making up a parable. He actually just says something that they already know about which is a gentle way. Jesus is a gentle way of saying to them, hey, we've been talking and teaching. You teach this stuff. Can we be reminded? Do not put yourself, it says in Proverbs 25, do not put yourself forward in the king's presence or or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told to come up here than to be put in the to be put lower in the presence of the noble. That's Proverbs 25. Basically the same words in which Jesus has said. You know what, sit, when you go to a party, sit at the lower seat because it's a lot better to be like, come on up. You're like, yeah, than it is to be said, come down. Once in high school, I was walking down the hallway and I saw this girl that I thought was amazing and it was just me and her and I waved. Like she said, hey, and I was like, hey. And then I looked behind and there was a guy behind me. That's who she was waving to. Guys, I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm okay. Um, <laughs> I, I'm secure, don't worry. But she, and I thought, Okay, so what Jesus is saying is when you see her, just play it cool, right? Like, hey, why not? You know, and then if it's not you, you're not shamed. If it is you, all the glory, right? So Jesus has this perfect, Jesus has this way in which to work the system. He sums all of it up with these remarks. All who are exalt themselves will be humbled. It's just a truth. It's one of those foundational truths is when we exalt ourselves, there comes a moment in our life we will be humbled in the midst of that. Many of us have lived through that. We could come up and tell testimonies about that. And those who humble themselves, not a false humility, not a beat themselves up, but with a confidence they humble themselves, they will be exalted. Humility is a path of, of, of descent in which we die to ourselves, that ego, that prideful, that positioning of ourselves. So that when we descend to that place, we become free. Salvation. Free from the systems of being exalted, of holding power and privilege over others. Free from driving to just get more and more and more and more from life. In the journey of true humility, we find a freedom to be who we are created to be, to be who we are in Christ, and to actually give life to others. Now, those who hear this saying from Jesus, you may be like a gamer or a strategist or like you love the show Survivor or something. You're like, I've got the plan. So if I just sit at the lower seat, then it's going to work out better, right? Like, then when I get called up, then, you know, and so we, we kind of get how we can like play the game a little bit. And I, I can imagine one of, the, one of the teachers that are sitting there, like Jesus begins to share this proverb, and he gets up and he's like, oh, I get you. And he like kind of walks down to the lower seat. But I don't think that's what Jesus is up to. Is strategically sitting in the lower place really the case of humbling oneself? Isn't it just another scheme, another attempt of being exalted at jockeying for a place of honor? What Jesus seems to alter here is the entire system as a whole. 
For Jesus, the whole idea of honor maneuvering is exposed with shame and, as a scam. It's a false honoring system that we all hold up. So there's two ways in which we do this, this kind of maneuvering. For some of us, we just want to go, you know what, I see the position, I know what I want, I'm going to go take it and sit there. And I will feel safe, secure, and okay if I can get that place, if I can get that thing. For others of us, we're like, I'm scared I'm not going to be able to get it, and so I'm just going to distance myself and act as humble as I can. And then when people look at me, they're like, man, what a humble life you've led. It's, it's, a, it's another way of hiding, but it's, both are not coming from a secure identity in who we are in God. And so Jesus, and both are actually not, sorry, this, both are not life-giving to others. When we hide those of us who just want to be serving other people or want to be hiding or just always want to be taking the lower seat. My grandma all the time at dinner, she never sat down at dinner. She was always up just grabbing one more thing. And we just said, we want to eat with you. Sit down. It's a way in which we still play the same game and the same system. Jesus sees it all and he said, this, this isn't life-giving to you or to others. And so Jesus says, does everyone agree with Proverbs 25? Yes, we agree. Let me tell another parable. Jesus immediately follows up with another story, this time encouraging the dinner host to hold a future banquet, not for those who can return the favor down the road, but rather for those who can't. He describes the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. Combined with the advice of the proverb, so when the two are put together, Jesus paints a remarkable picture. Imagine the ambitious, status-seeking, strategically taking its lower place at the table, and thereby ceding a place of honor to those typically excluded from such events altogether. Jesus does what Jesus does, which is turn the tables on our system in our world. He turns it upside down. The last shall be first. Now, I'm not going to disagree with Jesus, but one of the things that I don't agree with in this passage is you will be repaid. In this type of way in which you honor those and those voices that are often forgotten, lost, those who seem like they have nothing to offer the world, they have more to offer the world than you could ever imagine. Being in that party is a lot more fun than being in the other party, always. I know it from my own experience. When I was in seminary, we had this amazing space called the community table. At the community table, people, anyone from the neighborhood who couldn't afford a lunch or a meal or anything could come and get a free meal. Also, professors that had three or four doctorates could come and get a meal in the same space. We would all sit at a round table. You wouldn't know who was who or what was what. That was sanctuary for me. Because that, in that place where you're sitting around and you're hearing stories and humans are sharing their, their life with others and no one's, no one's positioning for anything because we're just sitting in the circle all needing food, all needing relationship, all needing one each other. It, it was a party in that space. And I learned more about the presence of God and the kingdom of God in that space than I did in any other lecture hall or from any other expert telling me about what other languages say about the Bible. Both are good, but in that space, the tables are churned, and the reward is right at hand. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, mischievously, as he always does, scrambles up the honor system, calling out and confounding the prideful, opening up the gates of acceptance to the impoverished, the marginalized, and the left behind. Jesus' table 
God's table, Jesus implies, overturns the world's petty, pecking order. Among the privileged and those with ears to hear should do the same. Friends, genuine humility doesn't serve today for the sake of exhalation or praise tomorrow. Rather, it gets out of the maneuvering for exhalation game altogether. And so what does it look like to create a new sacred order? This is what Jesus is always doing, a new sacred way in which our ideas of the Sabbath, how is that life-giving to all people, our ideas of the meals, our ideals of understanding who God is, how does it become a sacred order for all people? In God's dawning realm of this new sacred over, he overturns this pecking order of the world. There's this image of God's great banquet. The rich and the powerful, the privileged and the prestigious won't sit at the head of the table. Rather, what Jesus proclaimed in Luke 4, the blind, the poor, the crippled, the imprisoned, the lame, the blind, they'll sit there. The very people who are typically left out will find a place. And this will be called good news for us all. And just like the prophet Mary sang before, the mighty will be humbled and the lowly lift up. This is what his mother said before he came into this world. This is, this is what he is bringing. The tables will be turned. Now that sounds good. How do we even begin? One, just notice the space your body takes up in a room. Don't shame it. Don't, don't say, oh, how do I maneuver and play a game here? Just, just non-judgmentally notice how your body your prestige, your privilege, whatever you have takes up space in a room. For some of us, maybe we need to take up a little more space. For some of us, maybe we need to open up so that someone else can enter the circle that felt on the outside. How do we, how do we take this in? Here, here's just a couple ideas, and then we'll close in prayer. One, when we come to this table, and by this table, this bread, this wine, and by this table, I mean the presence of God with us. When we come to the presence of God with us, God asks you, to bring your whole self. You're broken, you're crippled, you're blind, you're powerful, you're prestigious, you're racist, whatever your whole self bring to the presence of God. It's invited to this table. You can't earn it. You can't earn the presence of God. You can't do anything to deserve it. It is not a game in which God is playing, but he just says, come and receive and take it in. There is room for you at this table. And not just in this presence, this relationship with God, but when we practice that here, when we receive God's grace, when we receive God's security, God's comfort for ourselves, we begin to be able to practice that in other relationships. Safe relationships in which we can go to others and say, okay, you know what? I'm scared because I've been playing this game my whole life, but I'm going to bring a little bit more of my whole self to this relationship. I'm going to share about the things I'm excited about, the things I'm nervous about. I'm going to share about my dreams and my fears. And when we begin to express that in a relationship with others, we bring our whole self to the table. And then true humility and true relationship, true security begins to develop. So one, bring your full self to this table, to the presence of, of God. Secondly, um, this is another way to do it, is examine your life, your actions. Here's a question I was asking this week that's not a comfortable one, but I think it's an important one. What actions, positions, duties, roles do you believe are beneath you? What's beneath you? Oh, yeah, that's, that's what I did when I was this age. 
when I was in this stage of life. What, what is it in this world? Maybe it's a location and a place. What, what feels like is beneath you? How has your identity, examine, how has your identity been wrapped up in the seating, the power, maybe most importantly, the comforts in which you have in your everyday life? How has your identity become so wrapped in those things? If they were taken away, where would your security and comfort come from? These are hard questions which need to be asked, not alone, but in the midst of community. Um, just practice maybe certain ways to take away some of the comforts. Sit from a different perspective. And the last before, maybe, maybe you're at a point, and I know some, I've seen this in your life, where it's like, I just want to invite people into the party, into the room, into the places in which they weren't seated. If that's where you're at, that, that is amazing bring other people along in the journey because we need leaders in this area of our life. Another way is maybe to listen to, just begin by listening and seeing the stories of others that Jesus is talking about. Can you just begin to have a little empathy to see from their, uh, the other's position? No matter where you are, whatever your other is, what does it look like to see from their position with an empathy with an understanding. In doing so, you're, you're inviting them a little bit into your environment and into your world. And so, friends, Jesus ends the whole system that we still live with today. But he invites us with grace and with love to come to invite all people to sit in the very presence of God and to receive. It will be the best party you could ever imagine, for you and for others. But it will demand a death and a humility of so many of the things that we hold on to. So be aware of where you take up space. Be aware of where God takes up space in our world.